What's the worst day you ever had in your business? I can name a few. I was a five-time award-winning entrepreneur who burned out because I couldn't give up control of anything in my business, whether it was because I thought I could do it faster or because I thought I couldn't afford it. I just refused to let anybody else in. Consequently, the business turned from a dream goal into a job I hated and I didn't know what to do anymore. In 2015, I closed my business, walked away, and started a whole new life. But I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up after that. And I realized that what I really love to do is marketing. I love to talk about marketing and create marketing and teach other people how to create value-based marketing initiatives that talk to their customers. I've done it for corporations, for entrepreneurs like you, bloggers, and everybody in between. I'm here to help you create your dream empire that gives you the freedom to create your life the way you want to do it. My name is Megan Brain. This is Stop Sucking at Business. Let's go. Hey guys, Megan here. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, you're going to jump into a really fun talk that I've been having with this person for well, how long? A month now? About so, yeah. About, yeah. So I'm talking to Casey Jordan, and after years as a serial entrepreneur, Casey has embraced her knack for and love of starting new businesses. She's harnessed those lessons learned to focus on helping new entrepreneurs find their own success. Casey is a business mentor supporting beginner entrepreneurs in building their dream business and troubleshooting small business struggles. And she's going to help us talk about the ridiculous world of toxic entrepreneurship. Casey, I love you and I like you. Thank you for being here. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I'm glad you still like me after our, our previous conversations. <laughs> so um, I was on Casey's podcast, which you should check out because it's also awesome. But um, we just kind of clicked, I think. Mm -hmm. And Absolutely. you're just so freaking inspirational. Like we were talking just before this about how she's doing live streams on Twitch. And I think that's brilliant because not a lot of entrepreneurs are hitting up Twitch yet. They're sticking with Clubhouse or things like that and just rocking set pre like saturated markets. And mm -hmm. Twitch is brilliant. That's so smart. <laughs> Thank you. And it's funny because I love it because there's no time cap. And I can mm -hmm. talk as long as I want, but it's also really hard because I've gotten so used to like Instagram where there's a time cap and I need to keep things concise. So it's, it's been this like fun dynamic of getting to just like talk. Mm -hmm. And then because it's a live platform, like sometimes I talk to myself for an hour and nobody joins the call, the chat. Yep. And then today I double book myself. So I did a really short stream and it's the best stream I had. And all this conversation was happening. And I'm like, why did you guys show up today? Isn't that how it works? Oh, yep. how it works. Yeah. So <laughs> It's fun. I like trying different things. Well, let's start at the beginning. A very good yeah. place to start. Um, <laughs> let's talk about your first business, but let's talk about just your whole story. You were military too, right? Yep. Yep. Where, where do you want to start? Go. Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, so, like, the super condensed version is... Um, I was military, I was Army, National Guard, military police. I deployed to Iraq for a year. I was wounded at the end of our tour, um, literally two weeks before coming home. Uh, I separated my shoulder, crushed some nerves, and then years later would be diagnosed with uh, a brain injury 
and post-traumatic stress. So I was there 2003, 2004, so we didn't know brain injuries were a thing. Like, I didn't even get screened for a concussion the day I got hurt. Like, they gave me ibuprofen, and I went back to work the next day. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's the, the Army way. And we were so close to the end of our tour, I didn't want to leave my guys. Like, the doctors gave me a choice. I was having a bunch of pain problems with my arm. And they're like, we can fly you to Germany and find out what's going wrong, or you can, like, wait a couple more weeks and go home. And I was like, option number two, please. <laughs> and so, um, so that kind of compounded everything because we didn't deal with it right away. Um, I always tell this part of my story, but because of, because of the brain injury and the PTSD, um, that has kind of, I mean, that, like, um, pun intended, that being wounded in that bombing launched me on a new trajectory, like, that I couldn't have even pictured at the time. Um, I came home, struggled with PTSD for a while, got my shit together. Uh, I got my bachelor's in political science, which you can't get a job with. It's just an interesting degree to have. Yeah, my, my degree in social sciences says the same thing. It's true. <laughs> thing so uh at that point it was more that for me was just like to prove to myself i could um before i got my degree i'd actually flunked out of college like they put me on academic suspension and i didn't know i had a brain injury so to like i had to like learn how to read again so like realize my brain was damaged what parts were damaged and learn all new tools for that um my bachelor's degree is kind of like one of my crowning achievements because i didn't know if i could go back to school. And then I went on and got my master's um, in mental health counseling, worked as a therapist for a while, love mental health, love that work, but it wasn't good with my mental health because I was still dealing with my stuff. And so I got married and literally on our honeymoon, and my husband and I still remember it, we were sitting at a bar called the Mangy Moose in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And we were kind of like, okay, we're married. What's next? And I was like, you know, I think I want to quit my job and start my own business. And uh, I don't think I'd ever mentioned entrepreneurship to him before that moment. <laughs> like, in the back of my head, it was always the thing. I'd come right. from a family of entrepreneurs. It was always kind of, but, like, seeing my health struggle, trying to keep a real job, it was like, well, and, and now, now I'm married married up so <laughs> like <laughs> I might as well and he was like wait what and so then we talked it through and, and he could see the logistic but the logical side of it um being able to my health kind of ebbs and flows which is not conducive to the standard American work world right. um even even working in mental health it was difficult for bosses to understand that my mental health would impact my job like <laughs> this is what we do and they still sometimes didn't see that um and so we made some arrangements it took a few months but i i left i wasn't even in corporate america i left nonprofit america launched my first business as a health and fitness coach um and have been doing my own thing for the last seven years and have had a variety of evolutions and styles of business since that first one you and I both have shiny object syndrome when it comes to new business ideas. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It is It is such a discipline to think like, oh, that's a great idea, and I won't follow through with it. I'm going to focus on my own shit and not do this new thing. Yes. It's, 
I, um, I've been, this is a side tangent totally, but I have been learning how to crochet just for something. Did I talk to you about this already? No. Just, it, I'm trying to learn it as something to do that creates a tangible good that I cannot sell. So it is like, th- this has become <laughs> my yeah. mission to do this hobby and like have something come of it, like a tangible good and be like, nope, that's not for sale. That'll be the first time I've ever done something like that. And so yeah, it's hard. Yeah, I actually just started playing with doing block printing with like the Lenovo printing (laughs) with the same intention of like some of some of this might get sold, but some of like the goal is not to start another like business thing or my brain just thinks in monetization. Like I think it was a couple years. This was a couple years ago, pre-pandemic. We had a giant like family reunion out on the coast of Oregon. And a longtime family friend came by to see everybody, and he brought his drone. And, like, my husband and I were fascinated. We're like, he's showing us how it works and looking at pictures. And I'm like, why are more real estate agents not using drones to get aerial footage around the house, to do, like, a video through the house? And, like, my brain starts spinning, and my husband just looks at me and goes, no. (laughs) like like, instantly I'm like how can I like buy a drone and then like sell my services to real estate no and my sister-in-law was like how did you even see a job opportunity out of I'm like my brain just monetizes shit it's just what it does yeah and you're like how can you not see the opportunity here what's it's amazing it's so blindingly right there you know (laughs) well let's I guess this is a pretty good segue into let's talk about toxic entrepreneurship. <laughs> and so what what do you how do you define toxic entrepreneurship? What does that mean to you? So to me, I think the internet is still so relatively new and in the explosive growth that came at the beginning of the internet, a lot of uh, it's about I got to find a better example but a lot of used car salesmen jumped in on board and started finding a way to manipulate people who are playing with this fun new online thing and you see all of these there's you know many great marketing books out there about the talk about sales psychology which is a real thing and people have twisted that so damn far that they've created this world of entrepreneurship that's um you you have to pay to play like if you just give me five thousand dollars i will give you the secret to a six-figure business and we tout six figure like we said i've been doing this on and off for seven years now and six figures has been touted again and again i realized in the last year i'm seeing more and more entrepreneurs tout seven figures instead of six and i'm just like oh my god and it's just this like manipulative unhealthy um unsustainable style slash facade of online business. That's, it's the, if you pay me $5,000, I'll show you how to get $60,000. Just thank you for $5,000. Now you get some other people to sign up and you'll get $60,000. Yep. That's, that's, I've talked about this on a couple of other episodes, but what strikes me is that a lot of coaching businesses have turned to like the multi-level marketing pyramid scheme of just like, I'm going to coach other coaches. 
And how you're going to do this is you're going to coach other coaches who want to coach other coaches. And it just becomes this pipeline of business coaches coaching coaches. And if you're listening to this and you're a business coach, I'm not, I'm a marketing coach. So I understand that like you still do an essential job, but it's interesting to me that, you know, you talk about this toxic entrepreneurship and this predatory behavior and it, it, the six and the seven figures is totally right. Like that's just mm-hmm. something that people have latched onto and it becomes like an unfair benchmark almost to put your business up against. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I, I, I wish I keep needing to look up the exact statistic, but like the number, especially female entrepreneurs that actually make it to a hundred thousand is, I want to say 15% or less. Like it's, an, a, it's a surprisingly small unfortunate number and especially in another conversation comparing that to how many like white males hit that number like the whole whole other topic there um but yeah six figures isn't it isn't a given it isn't necessary like the first time i ever had a coach sit down and say okay i want to write i want like write out all your expenses how much do you have to make i was shocked at how small that number was Mm -hmm. and when i even put in other expenses you know hiring a podcast editor or like getting a massage every week like still shockingly small number and then the other side of that to me the 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 more toxic part of the six and seven figure conversation is we're not talking about the optics of that is how much of that six figures is take home because there are a lot of businesses who've made seven figures who still go bankrupt who are broke as shit, who are not paying their employees. Like six figures doesn't mean anything if you're not talking also about expenses and take home revenue and all those kinds of parts and pieces. Well, and I think that your background, especially with the TBI is so parallel to toxic entrepreneurship and not realizing you're in this shit until it's too late. So, mm-hmm. What, how do you coach people to recognize when they are falling prey to toxic entrepreneurship tactics or even um, like mindsets? How do you, what are some signs of that? If it feels gross, stop. That's always, that's kind of always been the biggest one. If it feels really unnatural, uncomfortable, gross, exhausting, if it feels negative, you're probably dabbling in tactics that aren't right for you. Um, Not to say business isn't hard, like, duh, (laughs) entrepreneurship is really hard. But the challenge of being an entrepreneur versus using tactics that are wonky, that are manipulative, they feel different. And so understanding that feeling. And then also, like, as somebody shopping so like looking for a coach to hire looking for a course on whatever subject you need is looking at things like their testimonials is this a one-off person who made this money on this launch or is this the daily standard is this testimonial actually even about this product or is this a testimonial from a different product that they're slapping on this sales page and looking for I feel like it's harder to see because good, being a moral term, good toxic entrepreneurs write really good sales pages. 
And so you get sucked into them. But if you catch yourself reading a sales page and going like, oh my God, I have to buy this product even though I can't afford it, stop and take a deep breath. <laughs> and like, look deeper on what are they selling you. How do you recommend people build something that doesn't fall prey to toxic entrepreneurship tactics then? So like say say you're launching a course or whatever, you're building your sales page, but it's new. You haven't tested it. So, you know, thinking about testimonials or things like that. How do you recommend people stay authentic, I guess is what I'm saying, and not fall prey to these tactics that seem like such a standard now? Some of it just comes down to education and learning new ways. So I'm a big fan of Kelly Deals. And one of the things, and I'm in a copywriting course with her, and how she writes sales pages, and actually the science is showing these kinds of pages convert better, is start with the like common vision. So usually sales pages that we're taught to start with the pain point and like dial in on that and like make them hurt and then tell them you can relieve that pain. But like this model flips that. So like, we all want a world where we're successful entrepreneurs. Yeah, I want that. But toxic entrepreneurship is making it hard to know which way, like, oh yeah, toxic entrepreneurship's bad. And like, so for me, there's been a lot of learning of like, how do I change my approach to business and my language? Um, some of it is also just um, testing it out, see how it feels for you, see, See what you're comfortable saying. I get critique all the time because I will not put on my sales pages that like I will guarantee that you have your first client in three months for like my starter package or like I don't make income guarantees because I can't guarantee these things. Even if we work together and we do great work, there are variables of entrepreneurship that you can't control. And so only saying things you're comfortable with and only saying things that are true. So one of the toxic, toxic things that I rag on a lot is like deadline funnels. Not a fan. Um, if there is a real reason for that deadline, like if this is a live launch and the course starts on Monday, absolutely you need a deadline. If this is an evergreen program, don't give me an email with a deadline funnel in it. That's fake, fake scarcity. But we've been taught scarcity sells, which is true. But the toxic side of that is now we're applying fake scarcity to things. So like I do market that like I have two spaces available for my big program right now. That's because I only take four people at a time. That's not, I'm not saying two so you feel like the pressure's on it. So like knowing what is you being authentic and actually having some sort of like scarcity versus like what is you, what what is manipulating scarcity to try to create a response. Hmm. I like that. I like the idea of just, it's so, <laughs> it sounds just so refreshingly simple, doesn't it? Just like, don't lie. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Just yeah, don't lie. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So how do you, what are some other ways that you've seen toxic entrepreneurship work through the system? So a couple other like big ones are the toxic positivity toxic productivity and like the hustle culture, the mindset side of it. Um, like I said, part of the reason I'm an entrepreneur is that even 20 hours a week takes so much out of my brain working for somebody else. 
Hey guys, Megan here. How are your conversions doing? Are they maybe a little womp womp? I am here to help you with this exclusive free training about two phrases you can use that just boost your conversions like kapow. But there's a catch. It's totally free, but you have to get it in my Facebook group. That's the only place it's available. So to join, join my Facebook group. No. <laughs> Joining my Facebook group is totally free. It's at facebook.com slash groups slash Megan Brame. Once you join, you'll be able to get access to the training that shows you two stupidly simple phrases you can use to add oomph to your conversions in your marketing. It's going to blow your mind. And I am so excited for you to check it out. Again, facebook.com slash groups slash Megan Brame. I'll see you in there. That I was struggling to be a good wife, be a good partner to my husband and like kind of do my share of taking care of the house. And so for me as an entrepreneur, I do this largely so I can control my schedule, but all of the big wigs tell me I should work 24 seven because that's the only way to make money. And if I really loved what I did, I wouldn't ever want to stop working. I'm sorry, laptop lifestyle from the beach. If I'm on the beach, I'm not bringing laptop because I'm on the beach. <laughs> also, sand is getting everywhere then. Sand is getting But we just have this so much of entrepreneurship surrounds this work 24 seven hustle, 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 and only ever talk about the good stuff. And all of those are so detrimental for so many different reasons, but just like, like I said, the reality is of for my business situation of not being able to work twenty. I have things built into my business to compensate for when I need to shut down for a week, like when my health kind of forces me out for a bit. Like I'm not saying I don't acknowledge that that's there, but that's built into my systems. If somebody wants to work 24-7, that's fine, but do it because you want to, not because that's how you're told success happens. And um, yeah. The, the mindset, I think, is another really big part of it. Can you talk about what fail-safes you have for when you need to shut down? Yeah, so I try to, this one's, I need a fail-safe for this fail-safe, but um, having enough content ready to go that I can kind of put some stuff on pre-programmed autopilot. I always stay way ahead on my podcast, so, like, worst case, I always have a podcast going out every week. Um same, I try to do that with social media. It kind of comes in waves. Um, I only take calls on certain days of the week. So if I am having a bad week, I can I cross my fingers. So far, I've never had to reschedule a client because things have been so bad, short of being like, you know, sick with like the flu. Uh, but if it's just like a mental health week, I can always show up for my clients. But I keep that. Compartmentalize it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I keep that to like a couple days a week. So I don't like, and also just for like, with the brain injury, a lot of it comes across like ADHDs, which is something more people are familiar with. Like, I can't task switch very well. So like Tuesdays and Thursdays, I talk to people a lot. Mondays and Fridays, I typically try not to book calls so that I can stay focused on writing. Um, so things like that. And then just a lot of it too is grace and practice. I can kind of tell when I'm starting to head towards a rough patch and I will sometimes kind of scramble to throw some things in place knowing that the wheels might fall off the bus. Um, 
and sometimes the wheels fall off the bus unexpectedly and I take a few days off and I don't beat myself up for it because that's why I work for myself. Love that you sound, Casey, you sound so adult. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I get my shit together once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> that can be your testimonial. Megan right. said, I'm an adult. <laughs> and win the internet. That's right. Yeah. It is, but it's a learning process and it's an ever tinkering process. So like another thing I realized over the last couple of years is about every five to six weeks, I do tend to kind of crash and burn. And so that's where I was like learning how to like give myself grace and just like take a few days off. I now am playing, I'm only two cycles into this, but I'm building my schedule around taking every seventh week off. So I plan six weeks of content, I plan six weeks of, you know, focus, whatever I'm doing, and then I have a week off, and I have it in my calendar, no client calls that week, I won't record my own podcast, I won't guest on anyone else's show. The last one, I did work a little bit, but, like, I worked on the stuff that I wasn't making time for, because it's less important, more frivolous, more enjoyable, (laughs) like, and so, like, I saw the trend in my business, so I'm building it into my business to just take a week off every sixth week, every seventh week. There, you're reminding me of a book that I just read called In the Flow. Um, and I don't remember the author's name, but she talks about how, um, obviously not every seventh week, but how your menstrual cycle affects your productivity and not like yeah. your sex life and your everything and like how to build your schedule around that to say like, you know, when I'm ovulating, that's like the time that I need to cocoon and take care of myself. And mm-hmm. uh, that's so healthy. That's so, yeah, I'm very proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> it's taken a lot of years of beating myself up to get here. Like, it's very, and, and, and because it is so counter, like, I, it's funny because I have several people who like, I kind of look up to, I've hired them, you know, they've been my coach and my mentor at various points along the journey. And like, when I told them I was doing this, they're like, oh, my gosh, that's a great idea. And I'm like, am I doing this really right or really wrong that I'm trying this? Because it's so counter to hustle culture, to productivity. Like, I'm just going to two weeks out of every quarter just, like, play video games for a week. Like, I might break this. I, like I said, it's a new system. We're trying it out so far. It's worked great. I'm more productive planning for me six weeks at a time instead of a whole quarter at a time my brain really likes now i'm basically just breaking each quarter and a half and so that has really helped my productivity like which was not the goal like that wasn't that was like a unexpected side effect like figure out what works for you and try it well i want to touch go back a little bit and touch points on um toxic productivity and toxic positivity because i think that Some people know what those are, but can you better define them? Yes. So toxic productivity and hustle culture to me are basically interchangeable. It's kind of that we should hustle 24-7, being busy for toxic productivity, leaning more towards being busy for busy's sake. So I catch myself doing this all the time. It's like I'll work an eight or ten hour a day because that's the hours my husband works. And at the end of the day, he's like, so what would you do today? I'm like, I have no clue. <laughs> but like, you know how easy it is to like yeah. go down the rabbit hole of tasks that you're like, quote unquote, supposed to do. 
but really achieve you nothing, but you worked an eight-hour day so you feel accomplished as an American. Um, so that's the ass in the seat mentality, you know, of just like, yes. as long as, as there's an ass in the seat for eight hours, work has been done. Yes, exactly, exactly. So that's the toxic productivity. That ass and seat achieves nothing if you don't know what it is you're trying to work on. Um, the toxic positivity, I like talking about these two things back to back, the words get hard. Toxic <laughs> positivity is this idea of like, like begets like. So if I'm always, if I talk about the bad stuff and the hard stuff in my business, it's only going to keep me in a bad and hard place. Um, that like we always only want to talk about the good things in business. We only want to talk about the good things in life. Um, to me, and this is just my opinion on like manifestation, it kind of, and I know you're more woo than I, but like um, toxic positivity and manifestation kind of rub elbows in this like, if I just think good thoughts, the money will come. Like the number of like money mindset abundance books that I have read just make me want to bang my head against the wall because they go back and you look at a lot of them a level deeper and they're not talking about the hard five years leading up to the year that the manifestation work. They're not talking about the privilege that that person already has by being white, by being male, by being cis, by being, you know, already having, I have a privilege that like, I'm on disability and my husband works. We're already a two-income house regardless of what I make in my business. That is a huge privilege for me in being an entrepreneur. Like, it's, it's, it's not acknowledging all of the other things that aren't necessarily exciting, exciting or upbeat. I think I've told this story before, but there was a... Um, I'm losing my voice already. There was a YouTube video by um, Abraham Hicks, and it was the, you know, this entity, Abraham's being channeled through this woman, and that's the manifestation and all the things. And one of Abraham's followers came up and said, you know, I've been trying to manifest, I don't remember what the, let's say six figures. I've been trying to manifest $100,000, and it's not working. And I see all these other people that say that they're manifesting it and it's happening and all these things and why isn't it working for me? And Abraham said, it's not working for you because you just expect this money to fall into your lap. And that's not what this manifestation is supposed to be. Manifestation is supposed to be understanding the mindset of a person who earns $100,000 and doing the work to earn that $100,000, not to just like let this, I'm going to open my hands and the money falls. Like it's not, it's not about that. And so when you're saying these, like the parallels between manifesting and abundance mindset and toxic positivity, I can definitely see those parallels. And I think that it becomes um, like it, the wrong teacher for it can lead you down that path to where you're like, I can't think about the Amex bill that's due in a couple of weeks because it'll get paid and that's fine. And instead it's supposed to be like, I don't, I'm not going to think about that Amex bill because I'm working towards the money to get it, to get that paid. And I think that I, I agree. And so I don't want you to think like me being more woo woo about it is um, like, I don't know. I, I'm yeah, gonna go. I, I'm gonna go play with my crystals, and you don't know what you're talking about. 
right. No, I know I definitely like I own that I come from a jaded perspective on abundance and manifestation and like the, the people who get it. Like I know you understand that like it's more than holding your hand out like but there's that that work too. And I and I what think there are dollar if you could just hold your hands out though. That would be nice. <laughs> Back to that whole living on the beach thing like <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. So how can you, let's say I'm starting a business. What kind of tips do you have for me to start figuring out how to create a schedule that works for me and not falling susceptible to toxic creep, let's call it? Yeah. That's, that's a, I'm going to steal toxic creep. Thank you. Um, it's yours. <laughs> Go with it. Uh, really, experimentation is number one. Um, look at your schedule. Look at kind of what your lifestyle, what your priorities there are. Like, if you're doing this because of, like, a health thing like me, um, look at what that, how, what role that plays in your life. Um, I have a friend who she worked for the government, and so when the state got a new governor, like, she lost her job. Like, that's how it works. The governor and his staff all left, and she was on that staff. Um, And so she's now full-time for herself and, like, wants to prioritize more time with her kids and, like, doing school drop-offs instead of putting them on the bus. So, like, first thing we did is, like, okay, what time do you need to get up? What time do the girls need to be up and out the door? when does that put you back at your desk without rushing? And she's like, well, if I don't rush and I pick up a coffee on the way home, I'm back at my desk about 10. I was like, cool. Don't ever book a client before 10 o'clock. I can do that? Yeah. You know, and so, like, some of that is testing. I'm playing with, like, with the health stuff, I'm having some issues balancing, like, exercise. Like, I need to exercise because it's good for my body, but it's also really hard on my body. And I used to always work out in the mornings, but that doesn't work for me anymore. So I'm now, like, clocking out by 3.30, 4 o'clock every day. And I'm trying it. Let's see if it works. Like, A, do I actually go do my workout at 4 o'clock, or do I go sit on TikTok for an hour until I start cooking dinner? Like, what actually is going to happen? This thing of, like, seeing the patterns, this thing of, like, I realized I crash every so often anyways, so building in that week off. Um, Really, it's looking at your life, if you're still working a part-time job or even a full-time job, how many hours can you give to the business in addition to your job and in, in addition to life requirements like family and sleep? Then you backtrack from there. And if that means you only have five hours a week for the business, then you make those five hours really productive, and that's okay. Do you think that there's a way to balance I guess the slippery slope part of that, of the busy work, I guess, we're like we're talking about, but also the, how do you, how do you create productivity and not fall susceptible to busy work or not even like, I guess I'm trying to say, how do you not get lazy about business? You let yourself get lazy about business sometimes. I- it's it's a it's an ever evolving process um i have through a lot of experimentation figured out a system with my schedule that works for me and like how i track my to-do list 
um, and how I prioritize projects. I think for me that has been kind of number one is I know what I am working on so I can stay focused on those things. And if I catch myself out in left field, like I, an idea pops in my head and I jump down the rabbit hole, as soon as I realize that, it's like, okay, I'm going to write that idea down somewhere and then I'm going to go back to the stuff that's already on this week's list. And so it's it made me kind of, as you were asking that question, the way you worded it, it made me think of like beginner meditation or beginner mindset like or mindfulness. Mm-hmm. The idea is not necessarily that you're stopping your brain from wandering, but as soon as it wanders, you acknowledge that and you come back to your breath. As soon as my brain wanders, I write it down. I have a system of where I put these random ideas so I can find them again later, and I come back to what this week's task is. And I always have top three tasks for the week, and then I'll break those three down and across the week layout that, like, here's what I'm working on each day or here's how much time, like, I'm actually, for all the crap I give people about being woo, I'm finishing up a certification in tarot reading right now. Nice. And the final application is like a gajillion pages long, and I have no clue how long it'll take. I've never done one of these before, and mm-hmm. I have to do a bunch of readings for it and this and that. So instead of saying, like, today I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, is I use the Pomodoro method. So today I'm going to use three palms is how I write it in my calendar. Like, three cycles of work. And so once I've done, which would be an hour and a half on that application, I'm done with that for the day and I move on to the next thing. So kind of building systems around staying focused on what the priority is, I think is the long answer to your question. Do you have a reward system? Not really, no. Um, In a way, I try to reward myself more so once my day is done, I get up and walk away. So more on that button seat mentality. If I get everything done by 10 o'clock, bye. (laughs) My day's done. I get up and I wander off or I flip open my computer game and I game or I take a super long lunch and then I pick something else that I want to get ahead on and I'll come back to work. But, yeah, more so time than some of the other rewards that's and that was in my head along with (laughs) a a harsher take i guess of and i was trying to figure out a way to like niceify this but i guess i'm just gonna say the way i say it i think that also when in my own experience when i'm slipping towards the lazy side for lack of a better phrase i'm moving to the slippery slope what that actually means if I think about it hard enough, is that I'm avoiding doing something I really don't want to do. And sometimes that is a sign that this is not the thing for you. Maybe that means you're not supposed to be an entrepreneur in this kind of business, or maybe it just means like you need to outsource some of this stuff. But that's what I have noticed. Like if I start slipping into where I can realize it's not just me doing self-care or me, you know, working in the systems, it's me actually avoiding things, then it's actually because I'm purposely, subconsciously avoiding doing those things. Have you noticed that too? 100% yes. And and agreed. It's either this isn't the thing for me or the other one that I catch when I'm procrastinating, when I'm I'm slipping, the systems Mm -hmm. are falling apart, is overwhelm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
one of the things I talk about a lot is people will put, and I'm 100% guilty of this, I can look at my calendar today and tell you I have this written down. It's like I'm writing a book, and so my calendar today says, like, work on book. I don't know what the hell that means. Am I writing? Am I editing? Am I, like, working on the proposal? Am I doing research? So I'm not going to do any of it because when I look at it, I panic, mm -hmm. and I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And so that being the other thing is, like, yeah, when the system slips, it's either I don't want to do this thing or I don't know how to do this thing. Mm -hmm. And so for me, keeping a very detailed, breaking things down a lot really helps with that. I can see which things I don't like. I know, like, I edit my own podcast still. I know the part I don't like is prepping a transcript and, like, having to listen back through the whole show. Mm -hmm. So if I can get someone else to do that part for me, I don't mind putting the intro and the outro and make, making the graphics, like, because I break it down into so many little tasks, I know exactly which tasks I don't like that mm -hmm. I want to hire out first. Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, at one point I thought about, like, doing podcast editing for other people, and I'm like, that's a terrible idea. Because oh, <laughs> <laughs> I know I don't like this big chunk that is, like, essential to being a podcast editor. Um, and then figuring out systems, like I said, then for, like, the things that are too big. So when I'm having conversations, I always point to my left, I have a whiteboard over here that has my entire brain written on it, like mm -hmm. my entirety of my business, like what am I actively working on, what do I not want to forget, what's kind of next on deck, and it's all the big stuff is written over there, and then as I translate it from there to my calendar, I break it down into all the parts and pieces, so I'm going to record these two videos, I'm going to edit this one thing, I'm going to create five days worth of Instagram content. Like, I don't even say I'm going to do my week of Instagram content. I'm going to do five days worth because it's a week, three days, or five days, or seven days, or does that count next Wednesday because today is Wednesday? Like, right, right. For as smart as we are, our brains are really, really dumb. And if they <laughs> don't know what to do, they shut off. That makes sense. I have two things for you. One, Happy Scribe. It's what I use. It uses AI to auto-create subtitles and transcripts. And me and my podcast editor, Blisio, we both use it for this. And it just, I think it's on AppSumo still. If it's not, then um, I'll send you the link. But check that out. And two, I have this, which is, I know people on the podcast can't see this, but this is like playing cards that a client told me about. It's so sorry blank playing cards that you just keep and you just that's my shiny object shit whenever I think of something it goes on the playing deck and then I just kind of like peruse through it when I'm feeling like I don't have anything to do it like, I can do my referral network I can do the summit that I'm working on I can do and just I love that so I recommend yeah. it they're like eight bucks on Amazon for a hundred and they come in the little case Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, I use Descript for my oh, yeah. podcast now. That's another great one. Um, but yeah, something like the cards. I have a friend who calls it the parking lot. And so she has like a parking lot for all those <laughs> ideas. For me, I use um, the like the iPhone, the Apple Notes app yes. on my phone. So like I used to I used to have a long commute. And so I can, mm -hmm. without ever touching my phone, I can go, you know, hey, Siri, take a note about such and such. So when I'm listening to a podcast and a genius idea pops into my brain, mm -hmm. that's my parking lot. That's my deck of blank cards. And then every so often I open that up and like 
I don't know what that no means. I'm going to throw that one away. I'm going, put, I'm going to cycle this idea over here. This idea needs to be prioritized. And then, like, I so I periodically then go back and sort all that information mm-hmm. and decide if it goes into the system or if it goes into the garbage can. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. That's a great idea to just have something, whatever the system is. My, my brain lives on my phone. I joke mm-hmm. that I lose my phone. I'm screwed. <laughs> legit screwed my brain is that is my brain it's an external device that I carry around whatever's going to work for you if the playing card's on the desk like that's a cool one I just look at the clutter on my desk and don't want one more <laughs> on my desk. so like that yeah. one wouldn't work for me because I'd end up putting it over there and forgetting about it but yeah finding something so when the shiny happens mm-hmm. write the flash down and yeah and then go back to it later and then it's just, it's out of your head. You know, you're talking about writing a book. That was one of the reasons I wrote my book was because I wanted it out of my head. I wanted this whole task of like, I'm going to be, a, I'm going to write a book someday. Like I wrote the book. So it was out of my head so I could move on to the next thing. And I love my book. Don't get me wrong. But I just like, that was the main reason just to get it out so I could go work on some other stuff. Cause otherwise it was just in my head all the time. Yep, exactly. Mine's the, my knowing I wanted to write a book has been on my to-do list for 14 years now, and I finally figured out the, because a lot of it's based around, it's, it's, the book is about uh, resiliency after, like, life trauma, after change you didn't pick, mm-hmm. and so it's a very, like, I talk about being blown up in Iraq, I talk about the fertility struggles that my husband and I went through, so, like, it's deeply personal, so part of it is I had to wait until I could handle being critiqued on sure. the subject to even be able to write it, and now I know what what angle I'm writing it from. And now, like, I can't get it out of my head fast enough. Yeah, now it's like I'm constantly, like, sticking things to walls with, like, notes about the book or the book proposal or, like, yeah, definitely get that one. Oh, my God, that's so cool. When can people, when do you want people to start coming to you for help? And what kind of work do you want them to do ahead of time? Any time and as much work as they want. Um, <laughs> really, I, so I tend to work with uh, first-year entrepreneurs, which also ranges to people who haven't started the business yet, who have the idea. And I've actually worked with a couple of people who don't even have an idea, but they know they can't stay where they're at. Mm-hmm. And so I've helped to kind of tease out, like, what is the first iteration of your business going to look like? And how do we start taking those steps? Um, so pre-business, all the way through that first year or two, um, anybody who feels like they're struggling to be clear on what they do, have the systems to run what they do. I do a lot of talk about systems because I think that's vitally important to not losing your mind and to staying productive. Um, and anybody who's struggling to uh, get seen or heard more those are kind of the three big areas that I focus on. And so um, really there's no work you need to do before you come to me. That's part of what I do is help go through all of what you have done and see what's working, what's ideal, what's not working. Um, And part of the reason I say that too is a lot of people, we get wrapped up in trying to fix our weaknesses. And so I have people who come to me and they're like, well, I'm really working on like, trying to pitch myself to more podcasts, but I'm terrified of speaking. 
And I'm like, okay, well, like, then let's not go that route. Like, if it's, if you're not doing the task because your brain is unconsciously scared of the task, I don't want to force you to do that task. So don't feel like you need to fix anything. Let's figure out what works, what doesn't, what are your strengths, and we can lean into those. And then the weakness is how do we work around that mm-hmm. instead of how do we push you through it. And so that's kind of where I'm at. And how do you recommend people get a hold of you if they have any questions? Best two options are my website, caseyjordan.com, or finding me on Instagram, my DMs. Um, my phone is always in my hand. It's my brain. My Instagram DMs are literally always right there, um, which is at casey.jordan. And is there anything we haven't covered that you want people to know before we go? Mm. No pressure. No pressure. Baby steps. Baby steps. We, we, it, I, people get so wrapped up in the big picture and the optics of $100,000 and put so much pressure on themselves to that. Like, eat the elephant one bite at a time. And as long as you are taking one step forward, you are doing an awesome job. And we can find a way to build on that. Perfect. Thank you so much, Casey. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hey guys, Megan here. Just a reminder, I have regular Q&A episodes coming out. So if you want your questions answered, head to meganbrame.com slash ask a question, all one word, and you'll be able to get your question posted. And if I feature it, you will get a copy, a free copy of my book, Day One, A Practical Guide to Launching Your Business. So again, head to meganbrame.com slash ask a question. And if your question gets featured, I'm sending you a free copy of my book as a thank you on the next episode busyness and not productivity so i mean the first thing is if you have a concept how do you get that concept like whether it's a service or a product in a systematized and scalable way to people if you don't have that then it's going to be really rough at the beginning um and then the second part too is is seeing if your idea is even valuable mm-hmm. so it, i love two things one is if you pitch it to 10 people and five say, yeah, I, I like this. And five say, no, you're going to waste a lot of time and money. That's usually a good thing. Polarizing responses is a good indicator. Um, some people say, oh, if everyone says it's a bad idea, that, that means you're onto something. That is not true. I've heard some terrible business ideas.